Well, as uh, the music team is grabbing their seats and you're grabbing yours, I hope you guys had a great day. Uh, give me just a moment to kind of get my papers set up and I uh, look forward to being with y'all. We're going to look at the uh, book of Matthew, St. Matthew, uh, chapter 13. So if you've got a Bible handy or if you have your phone out and you want to open it, that would be great. We're just going to be looking at a few short verses. Um, the folks at YXL who put this together in your little handout there have been gracious to put in there a series of pages for notes if you'd like to take them. I've given you some ever so brief uh, outlines for you as well. That's very intentional because one, I'm about halfway prepared every time I give those things in. Some of y'all procrastinators feel me on that. Thank you. And uh, the other reason is, is that I really, I really want you to I want you to take notes if you want to, but I do follow in a strain of preachers and teachers who are absolutely fine if you don't, so that you'll just listen in the moment and have an impression made on the heart in the moment of. So if you don't take notes, that's okay too. You can just listen. Uh, that's why they pay me the big bucks around here. So it's billions of dollars a year. So uh, Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to be. I'm going to go ahead and read this, and I'm going to I'm going to introduce it just ever so briefly in terms of the. What, what's going on in this section of the gospel. Jesus has moved into a series of parables to describe and to talk about and to spell out a very important theme for us, and that is the kingdom. So this is, if you're familiar with your Bible, this is where you're going to, some of this language might be quite helpful, but the language of the kingdom shows up all over the place in Matthew chapter 13. And we're just going to read a couple of verses in this, but... This is going to be critical for us to understand if we want to understand the rest of the week. So let's read this together. Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 31 and 32. Then we're going to skip ahead and uh, read verse 44. So uh, three verses. I think this is great for like tired students and tired. uh, You've been going all day, so hopefully I don't have to put too much ahead of you. But we're going to take an in-depth look at some of these things. So let's read this together. Matthew chapter 13. Verse 31, he, that is, Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the largest, is larger than all the, um, all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. Skipping ahead a few verses to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. How about we pray together and ask God to help us by his spirit so that we can understand what he would have us to teach, uh, to know tonight. Father in heaven, Son and Spirit, we ask that you would do what only you can do. That you would meet my friends here tonight who have busted it all day, uh, who are probably tired and uh, going on short sleep from last night. Would you grant us your grace tonight to be able to pay attention for these next few moments and to learn something about you? And would you in these next few moments too, Lord, would you show us Jesus? Boy, we need to see him. We need to see Him, and we pray that our hearts would be warmed and stirred by what He has done for us, and really how much He loves us. And so we ask this all uh, for your sake, Jesus, and for our good. Amen. Well, sometimes uh, you have to be able to look 
in a new way at things to see what needs to be seen. Let me say that again. It's a very important statement. Sometimes you have to look at things in a new way to be able to see what needs to be seen. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever experienced what I'm talking about, but there have been countless times in my life where I've needed somebody to show me what I've needed to see because I can't initially see it. I want to do a bit of an experiment with you all tonight. Uh, so turn your eyes up to the, the screen here in just a second. I want you, I'm going to show you a series of companies or institutions, organizations, and their logos. And I want to show you maybe things that have been before. Some of you may have seen this before, so you're already in on the joke. But, um, but I want to show you all something that maybe you've never seen before, but you've looked at your entire lives. Or maybe you've seen it a thousand times. But, what? That's been there the whole time? Are you kidding me? Because I know it's going to happen to at least one person because I've already talked to him tonight about it. But these are logos. These are images. These are designs. And I'd love for you to see them because here's what I want you to see. I want you to see things in a new way. I want you to see things in a new way tonight. So let's take a look. First of all, here you go. Turn your eyes up here to the screen. Very familiar logo, the FedEx logo. How many of you guys have ever seen this before? Oh, yeah, of course. Like every time you drive on the interstate, okay? Now, FedEx, as you may know, is a logistics and transportation company. They move packages around the company, I mean, around the country and the world like crazy. But what you may never have noticed about their logo is between the capital E and the X, there's an arrow. Do you all see that? Yeah. Okay, look in the negative space. Now you see it. Okay, how many of y'all, tonight's the first night you've seen that? Just other folks look around. Isn't that pretty cool? That's insane. You know why? Because FedEx, that's important. They want you to know when you're buying their product or that they're moving forward. It's very simple. It's brilliant. For those of you who want to do graphic design, you come up with stuff like this. It'll really help your companies out. Secondly, okay, one I know you've seen a ton of times is Amazon, right? Now, this is what maybe a lot of y'all have seen this before too, but I love it. I never saw it until somebody pointed out to me. I just thought Amazon, that's cool, and you see the smile there, right? Oh, I'm so happy, which is great. But Amazon is also telling you they have everything from A to Z. Do you see it in there? And it's also an arrow. Okay? As a way of them saying, you are going to be happy on everything from A to Z, even as you wait for it to come to you. Isn't that amazing? Brilliant design. Now, one that maybe you're less familiar with, but uh, if you grew up playing baseball and, uh, and you watch teams regularly, you probably have seen this. So, uh, this is a team logo that's a little bit old. It's not their newest iteration of a logo, but I still think it's brilliant. This is the Milwaukee Brewers, just a glove. But if you look at the glove itself, it's actually an M and a B. Do you see that? The fingers are an M, and the B is the is the is the thumb. Okay, so that's the Milwaukee Brewers logo, just capturing their team name and the logo. Why do I share this with you? Isn't that cool? Like that's pretty awesome. Anyways, here's what I want you guys to see tonight. If you're anything like me, you can simply miss what is right under your nose, can't you? I and mean, this stuff is probably you've probably seen it a thousand times. And as we've said, to see what needs to be seen, sometimes you have to see it in a new way. You need a new perspective. In fact, this, now that I've shown you these images, these logos, I would suggest that they are so powerful that you can never see them again in another way. You'll always see the arrow in FedEx from now on. You'll never miss it. Once you've seen it, you'll never not see it. Why do I say this? 
Because all week long, we're taking our look at spending our time considering what it means when God says that He is making all things new. And that is a profoundly large statement. It's full of meaning, of importance, of significance. But it's also one, if we're honest, that can riddle us with confusion. Or completely, we can completely misunderstand it if we don't know what He means. It's like, for example, what does that look like that Jesus is but that God is making all things new. And when will that happen? You see, there's great questions that we have to be able to ask about. And we're going to look at that all week long. But I would like to suggest to you tonight that unless we see with new eyes what Jesus is teaching about here in Matthew chapter 13, we'll actually never understand what the rest of our week is about and what the Bible is about when it says that God is making all things new. In other words, put simply, friends, Jesus gives us a new way of seeing, a new perspective. He gives us a new way of seeing what the triune God is doing to make all things new. And why do we need to see things new? Well, Jesus talks about the kingdom tonight. And for those who are unclear about what that kingdom language means, kingdom in, in the Bible is often synonymous, more or less, with heaven itself. It refers to that place where God has rule, where He is King and Lord over all. You might know this as well, where Jesus uses it, the language of the kingdom uh, in contrast. In, in John chapter 18, He talks about it in the kingdom of heaven being in distinction from or difference from the kingdom of this world. It's often if you've ever prayed the Lord's Prayer, you do this every Sunday in your church. It's what you pray would come on earth as it is in heaven. So it's all over Jesus' language. And Jesus is showing us tonight, y'all, that we need to know three things if we want to understand the kingdom. And therefore, what God is doing to make all things new. You can find them there on your page, but I would like to suggest, first of all, that these are three lenses that we look through. You can put it that way if you want. But it is seeing by imagining. And this is the first of the things that Jesus gives us Seeing by imagining. And let's take a look at what I meant. But before we go there, like this every night, I want you to know that tonight by seeing, that you would not just go, that's cool, that's cool, but that you would marvel. That you would be in awe of what Jesus has done for you. That your heart would be captured afresh tonight. It would be woken up maybe even out of your slumber to see how much Christ loves you. So let's take a look, this idea of by seeing by imagining. I'm going to be looking primarily at verses 31 and 32. So let's take a look at these texts together here. We read three short verses. That's it. And in them we have two word pictures or parables as they're called. We read of what? First of all, a mustard seed. And then secondly we read of a treasure. A man finding hidden treasure. Now, in both of these stories, if you were paying attention, you caught two key words that I want you to hone in on, or you can underline, or you can write down in your notes if you want, and they show up in verses 31 and 44. Here they are, is like. Is like. You know, that, that word like is very common in your vernacular. Uh, it's just is like. And so we need to take a look at what I'm talking about. But those two words, y'all, do a ton of work for us tonight. A ton of work for us. What do I mean? You see, Jesus is teaching about the kingdom. And he uses these short word pictures called parables in these, in these, uh, to, to help us. You know, 17 times in the book of Matthew, when Jesus talks about heaven, he uses the words, is like, 
or compared to. That's, that ought to make your antenna go up. Because that means whenever Jesus is trying to teach you and me about what heaven is like, He has to do it through, through the image of is like. And here's why. Because He wants to give us a picture of something. I think that's important. A picture of something. He wants to give us a picture so that He would make an impression on us. You see, Jesus is saying the kingdom is like a mustard seed. The kingdom is like a treasure hidden in the field. This is not the kingdom is a mustard seed, of course, but it is like one. The kingdom isn't a literal treasure, of course. It is like one. Jesus is using simile, sorry to put you back in school, to teach you about what the kingdom is like. And so anyway, Jesus is leading us, and here's my kind of punch for the point. He's getting us to use our imaginations. Our imaginations. He's wanting you to see by way of your imagination. He wants to do that by making an impression on you. And so he uses imagistic language, or maybe another word is a picturesque language, to help you understand. Now, many of us might find this hard to believe, that Jesus is or inviting us to, to use our imaginations. But here's why. It is true. If you want to see the kingdom rightly, it won't ever be seen this side of entering it directly. Let me say that again. If you want to understand the kingdom, it will never be seen rightly, this side of entering it, except by your imagination. It only comes to us in the Bible in pictures, in descriptions. There are, they are approximations, to use a $10 word tonight. Okay, It's the best we can get. It's like language has run out of its punch, and that's the best the writers can give us, is like, compared to, okay? Now, to use our imaginations is actually not an invitation to think up of fairy tales or fake things, or to think of things that aren't real. That's not using the imagination in the sense that I'm talking about it tonight. Rather, I want you to think of using your imagination your mind's eye, as it were, to see things that are very much real, but are just not present to your eyes at this very moment. Do you see what I'm saying? Imagination is to see things that are very much real, but are just not present to your eyes at this very moment. You want an illustration on how to use your imagination? Here we go. Think of your bedroom. Have you got it? You just did imaginative work. You can't see it with your eyes. You're not right now in front of it, unless this is your bedroom for some odd, strange reason, right? You've used your imagination to see what is very real, but not present to your corneas or your retinas, okay? Now, think about this. The Bible talks about this all the time. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says what? Set your minds on things that are above. And when Jesus says that the kingdom is light, He is doing the same. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Again, I underscore this. Because He wants to make an impression on your heart. Why? Because the kingdom is too important to miss. It's too important to miss. And so He knows He has to go sort of get down underneath the way that you think. Underneath the way that you see to make an impression. And He does it through this, this imagistic language. Here we go. Quick illustration. Sort of let off the throttle for a moment to help clarify. Ladies, dream with me for a second on this. Fellas, you can too. Imagine a young man comes to you with flowers, ladies. Okay? Now, imagine a guy that you have perhaps a secret interest in in some capacity. Or becoming friends with or whatever else. And let's say that he gives you flowers and a card. 
And some of you guys are like, yeah, that's me. I do that. Uh, well, that's awesome. I didn't when I was in high school. Um, but you open the card, ladies, and here it is. It's like now the path sort of diverges into two paths, and we're going to explore those here in this illustration. But each scenario, when you open that card, it's a little letter. He's handwritten it out. And, and, and there's one or two scenarios. It goes like this. Each praising you, telling you about beauty and about love. And one card reads like this. Option A. Here we go. Ready? This might even come out in a British accent. I don't know how that would happen, but you get my point. Here it is. Love is not love, which alters when it alteration finds, or bends with the remover to remove. Oh no, it is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempest and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark whose worth's unknown, although its height be taken. Thank you, Billy Shakespeare. Sonnet 116. Okay? Now, that's option one. Here comes the more likely scenario. <laughs> Let's pretend your name is Sarah. Dear Sarah, when I look at the blonde hair coming out of your scalp, my heartbeat increases from 77 beats per minute to 92. It's hard for my throat to swallow, too. I would like to consume pizza with you. And did it hurt when you fell from heaven because you're an angel? Bye. Okay? Now, you get the point, don't you? Because one of them makes an impression on you. And here's my point. Jesus is saying that if you don't see with your imagination... You miss something of what God is up to in making all things new. He is saying, I want you to know, deep down in your bones know about the kingdom. And it is that important, that real. And I want you to see in a way that you can never unsee it. So a quick question for you this week. You can write this down. How is your imagination working these days? It's not a surprise that Jesus says to let the little children come to me for such as the kingdom. But for such to these that the kingdom belong, does the kingdom belong? Why? Because kids, you can just start off with once upon a time and they're tractor beam right in. And the reality is, is Jesus is calling us to live this way where we begin to see again, see afresh by our imagination. Secondly, not only is he doing this by asking us or inviting us to see into, to help us see afresh, Jesus is not only going to Give us eyes to see with the imagination, but also to see by way of waiting. Now, I just mean to say this very technically. I, it's, it doesn't make sense to say we see by waiting. That's not what I mean. I'm saying the new perspective that Jesus is inviting us into will require waiting. That's, what I, that's technically what I mean, okay? So let's take a look here at this first parable, 31 and 32. We're going to look at this mustard seed deal. And knowing that we must use our imaginations, Jesus says what? Here it is. That the kingdom is like a mustard seed. Well, how is it like a mustard seed? Well, here it is. Two ways. First, the mustard seed is incredibly small. I wish, let me put my mic down. I'll show you about how big it is. It's like if you pinch your fingers together like that. That's how big a mustard seed is. Go look at your mom's spice cabinet. She might have some. If they're, she's got whole grain mustard, you can see it. Okay? It starts out very, very small. But it grows into something much, much larger than its original size. In fact, it becomes larger than all the plants in the garden, so much so that birds can come and nest in it. 
And what Jesus is saying is the kingdom is like that. It has small, humble beginnings, but it grows It grows over time, and as it does, it grows into something massive, far exceeding its original size. But secondly, the kingdom comes, and this is important, in a process. In a process. You see, like a seed over time grows into a tree, so too the kingdom grows in process. It doesn't all come at once, okay? So therefore, the kingdom does grow, and it grows into some way larger than when it began. But it does this not instantaneously in a snap, but over time in a process. Now think about it this way. If you were to look at a seed buried beneath the soil, you would not be able to see it grow if you were just watching. It would be like watching paint dry. Okay? Is, is this thing growing or not? It would, your eye would not be able to pick it up. In the same way, the kingdom grows, but oftentimes we can see it with we can, oftentimes we uh, can see it with our can't see it with our eyes, and that's why we need our imaginations. Jesus is saying this: Be sure of this. Be sure of the kingdom that I am bringing. What Jesus has started, it, it, it has been inaugurated. That's just a fancy word to say it has broken in. It is broken in to the here and now. That's what Jesus wants you to know. It's like a mustard seed. It started small. But hang on to your hats because this thing is going to explode. And if you read the Old Testament prophets, they say things like this. That one day the knowledge of the Lord is going to cover the face of the earth. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover the face of the earth as the waters cover the seas. Question class, to what extent do waters cover the sea? Fully, 100%. There is no sea with no water. That's how big it's grown. That's how big it's grown. That's what Jesus wants you to see. But here's why where this is so important. This means in the meantime, you must begin to live in a tension. In a tension. Why? Because the time that we live in now is we live between an already present kingdom that Jesus has brought and is bringing, and in between as well, a not yet present kingdom. So this is why your pastor or youth director or maybe your parents speak about the kingdom in this way, that we talk about living in the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. Does that make sense? Part of it's come, it's process. Part of it is yet to come. Think about it like this. My friend Carter and I, when we, uh, we often make trips out to Colorado from, from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And we have little kids, all three about the same size. And we have to like cope with this. This is a coping mechanism that we do when we take long trips with three little kids. We say the vacation starts right out of the driveway. Does that make sense? Like we are on vacation the moment we pull out of the driveway. Because if we are starting to think like, Oh, we just got to hurry up and get there. And no, we're not making any potty stops. And no, don't spend too much money at the gas station. Or quit hitting your... No, we can't... Like, we're just going to miss it. We're going to miss our kids' lives. And we're going to be angry by the time that we get to vacation. We'll start off on vacation with being angry. And so we've had to say, you know what? Vacation starts the moment we drop out of the driveway. And what that means is, though, is this. We're not at the vacation destination the time we pull out of my driveway, are we? No, it's a process. What has begun has not fully come yet. And that, friends, is what the Christian life is like. And what that means is, is this. 
You must wait. You must wait. Jesus is telling you, actually, to be a Christian, that part and parcel about being a Christian is that you wait. And you live in a season of waiting. Well, we cry out at times, Dear Lord, come, like we sang tonight. Oh, come and make all things new. Because we long to see the world changed. We long to see ourselves changed. And I think, by way of application, how do we sort of drive this into our hearts? I think it reminds us of a couple of things. First of all, this. That living in the tension, or seeing by waiting, if you will, reminds us that our that that things are that thing that are bad things are never as bad as they could be. God in Christ really has broken in, in your lives. He has died. He has risen. He is reigning and ruling even at this point. And that gives purpose to our meaning and our despair. Uh, it gives meaning to our despair and our sadness. So what this means is, is this, friends, that the breakup really isn't the end of the world. It's a big deal. I remember being in high school. I remember getting dumped like a ton of bricks. But, it's, but the kingdom reminds us that's not the end of the world. That also means this, if you don't make the sports team, it's not the end of the world. Jesus still reigns. He still rules. And He's still madly in love with you. He still delights in you as, as, a, as a wonderful older brother does. And so therefore, when you think about the college getting in and maybe not getting in the college that you want, you might be disappointed. Your parents might be disappointed. But it's not the end of the world. Jesus has died. He has risen. What this means is, is that Christ really has broken in. But here's what this also means. It also means that our best days are not what they one day will be. So getting on the baseball team, going to the dance with him or her, and being received into that group of people at school, that's all good. But it is not heaven, friends. It is not. It cannot define you. So we see those things rightly in the tension that we live in. Thirdly, this is what this means. I think this is critical for you all as student leaders back home. So I want you to write this down and, and, and take this back home with you. It also means that we can be people who sit with other people in their sorrows and sadnesses. Do y'all know what I mean by that? You really do live in an era where Jesus has not returned. Sin is real. Sorrow really happens. And what that means is, is that you as somebody who can love your peers well, means that you don't have to rush people through their pain or their sorrow. That you can be able to sit with them when they really are sad. And to really sit with them when they really are down. And to be able to look at them and put your arm around them or to hug them and say, I'm here. I know this really stinks. I'm really, really sorry that you're going through what you're going through. And you can be the compassionate hands and feet of our Lord Jesus to your peers. Do you know that high schoolers can do that? You don't have to have a religious PhD to be able to love your friends well like that. And living in this tension reminds us that we can. Well, let's keep moving. Jesus' attempt to help us understand what He is up to in cosmic history. He gives us eyes to imagine the coming of the new heavens and the new earth and to wait for it. So what we do now is we find ourselves between Jesus' cross and Jesus' final crown.
Is the Christian life just be spent, you know, twiddling our thumbs, as it were? Well, thankfully, Jesus gives us one more picture to be able to help us understand the building of this new perspective that I mentioned. Let's take a look lastly at my third point here of seeing by desiring. And I'm looking at that second parable now about the man who finds a hidden treasure. Here Jesus tells us the kingdom is like a treasure hidden. A man is in a field, one presumably that he doesn't own, but he comes across treasure while, I think, digging in it. Now, they didn't have banks back there, so if you had all your money and all your loot, you wouldn't have you know, walked off to a bank and put it in a bank somewhere to secure your assets. Instead, you would have dug a hole in a field and buried it somewhere out there and you may have had a landmark or know exactly where it was at and where you wanted to get your money out, you would have gone and dug it up. So it's not unlikely in that day and age that, that, would have, that this sort of thing could have happened. The point is, is that the man what? The man finds it one day while digging and he sees it's massive value. He sees it for what it is. So much so that we're told what? That in his joy, did you catch that? That in his joy, he goes and does something. Well, what does he do? Y'all caught it, right? He goes home, he takes a look at all of his possessions and he goes, uh, uh, yeah, 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 all of it's gone. All of it I'm selling. Why? Because he knows the value of what lies hidden in that field that he's covered up is of more value than everything he owns. And so what does he do? He goes and sells everything that he has, takes the money of the sale of those possessions, and then goes and buys the field in which the treasure is is, is lying. Why? Because of the value of that treasure is more valuable than all that he has. And therefore, his desire for the treasure is great. In fact, it is greater than his desire for everything else. Now, this parable is telling us a ton, but it highlights something profound. The kingdom is something when seen and found that is of inestimable worth. Is it that to you? Is it that to you? And therefore, it is telling us that all else that we could desire pales in comparison to it. Jesus is saying this, and this is my point. You'll never understand. You'll never know. You'll never see what God is up to in making all things new unless you're actually desiring the kingdom. Unless you're actually wanting it. In a very odd way, we must desire the kingdom in order, this is where it gets a little funky and esoteric, so put your hat, your hat, your thinking hat on, we must desire it to truly understand it. And you'll never desire it, what? Until you see the value of it. Let me give you a little bit of an illustration. I don't know if you've ever come to know something better or to understand a hobby or something like that better because you finally have said, yep, I want it. I want to know more about it. It's been like this in recent months with me with fishing. I've grown up most of my life, you know, not fishing, but when I do go fishing, I love it. My dad took me as a little boy. and We always had great times and had done trips like that with my brother as well. But about three or four weeks ago, I finally went out and bought my first rod and reel. Now, I'm not a good fisherman at all. But I can tell you this, when I bought my first rod and reel, do you know what happened? 
something happened to me. I began to click on YouTube, and I'm like, okay, great. So how do you catch bass? Okay, like how do you tie up a hook? All right, so which, you know, which bait's going to work best for Texas rivers in the summer? You know what I mean? Like it's that specific, right? And the idea is, is that the more I wanted to know something about it, I be- things began to click. I began to understand it more and more. And I think that this is a great illustration because earlier in my life, when people talked about fishing, and this might even be how you're feeling right now in this moment, it's just wah, 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 wah. I don't understand a word that you're telling me about fishing. And maybe you feel like that right now as I'm trying to tell you about fishing. And that's okay. That's okay. But here's the point. When I began to want to fish, want to learn how to do it, do you know what happened? I began to understand it more and more. It's really a simple point. Do you know the things that you understand the most are the things you want to understand most? That's kind of crazy, but Jesus is saying this. It's like treasure. It's like treasure. Do you see the value in it? And are you, and is it do you see the value in it so much so that you desire it like that? Here's what I want you to see. Christians for centuries have said that understanding, seeing, knowing something or someone is a product of us wanting and desiring to understand it. Apprehending something begins with the desires within the heart for it. And here's what Jesus is saying. The only way you'll understand the kingdom is if you long for it because you see its value. You can't know it without wanting it. And I realize this is pretty heavy stuff, but I think it's critical. So Jesus is saying this. Long for the kingdom like buried treasure, y'all. See its value. See its worth. And go after it. You can, you can learn about going after it in the next parable about the pearl. If you want to read that tomorrow morning, you can. It's the only way you'll really be able to see in a new way what God is up to. Here's my hope. I want you to see this. I want you to begin to ask yourself the question. To begin to find yourself within your own posture and frame of mind is this. Dear Lord Jesus, do I desire you and your kingdom like this? Do I see its value? Then you begin to pray, Oh Lord, help me to see what you see is so valuable about heaven itself. I am praying that God's Spirit would do that in you this week. That He would bring the fire, as it were, to the tender that I'm trying to lay in, the, in our time together with you. So here's my, quest, my request for you this week. Would you be open to seeing, to learning, and desiring Jesus in new and fresh ways this week? Asking Him to shape our hearts. Asking Him to shape our hearts. We desire what we value, even to the point of joy. Well, I want to begin to land the plane with you. And here's the profound hope that I have for you. I don't know if you caught it, but all night long I've been saying that we need a new perspective. That we need a new way of seeing. But I've been sneaky with you. Did you catch it? I've been sneaky. I've been saying this, that seeing by imagining, seeing by waiting, and seeing by desiring are actually all gifts that God Himself gives us. Did you know that? How do you know that? Because the Bible tells us. In Luke chapter 12, one of my favorite passages in all of Luke, Jesus is talking to folks like you and me who are worried about their lives. They're worried about what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, how their life is going to go for them. And Jesus says perhaps an odd statement to comfort his followers in this moment. But do you know what Jesus says? He says, fear not. 
Or don't be afraid, little flock or little lambs. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Did you know that? Think about that for a moment. Do you know what pleases God? Luke chapter 12, verse 32 says this. That it delights your Father in heaven to give you the kingdom. To be given over to you as a gift. You see, the kingdom can't be won. It can't be earned. You can't be awesome enough to get into it or to receive it. I don't care how holy you are. I don't care how awesome you are, how much of your Bible you read, or how much you say no to bad stuff and say yes to good stuff. None of that matters. The kingdom comes to you by a gift. And therefore, listen to me, what is required to see the kingdom, God in His grace gives to us. What is required is given to us by God Himself. And how can we know that? Because of somebody else who was our great lamb. You see, we are God's grip, we are His, His little flock because our great shepherd, Jesus Himself, became the lamb that was slain. And through His death, through His life, through His resurrection, through His ascending, through His reigning, through all of that, you and me are now called the good flock who receive as a free gift the kingdom itself. And friends, we're going to look and consider that later on all, all week long. The last thing I'll say is this, is that Jesus came for the blind to receive sight for the blind to receive sight. And so that means Jesus' very mission, are you ready for this? Is to help you see. It's to help you see. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, please take these words by your Spirit and press them deep into our hearts that we might marvel and wonder at what Jesus has done for us. How could it be, Jesus, that you are great shepherd would become for us the lamb who was slain, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, that we might be called your little flock that receives the kingdom out of your good pleasure. Oh man, Lord, help us to see that. Help us to marvel at it tonight, we pray. And we lift this all up in your name. Amen. Well, I think we're going to sing some more. Is that, is that correct? We're not going to sing anymore. So I'm getting word in through the, the earpiece. Um, so I'm going to turn it back over to you, Patrick, and uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you, brother.